You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's have a word of prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together, and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have made us brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, uh, even those of us that that don't know Mark and Steve uh, very well, uh, they're closer than a brother to us because of the fellowship that we enjoy uh, by your son's cross and resurrection. So, Holy Spirit, we do welcome you to this place and pray that you would speak uh, through this conversation uh, that we might give testimony to what you are doing in the world uh, for your glory, uh, but also for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, y'all are going to have to pass the mic back and forth if that's okay. Um, you're at George Whitfield College in South Africa, and our congregation is pretty familiar with the East African revival. But I will admit, like, I'm not aware of the history of how the gospel came to South Africa. So tell us a little bit about how the gospel came to South Africa and how George Whitfield College came to be as a response to that. Hi, everyone. This is Mark. Um, yeah, the... Uh the gospel arrived in its, uh, in its Anglican form quite late. Uh, there have been many missionaries who'd evangelized in that part of the world a great deal of time before, but when the uh, British forces arrived to tr- try and take it all up back from Holland uh, in the 1800s, uh, the, uh, it was the first time uh, the Anglican Church arrived, and so it grew from that time. About 1806, uh, Admiral Elphinstone arrived. I I know that because I lived in Elphinstone Road on the beach, pretty near to the beach where he landed. And uh, some of the paraphernalia and and little bits and pieces from the wars and skirmishes are still there in the the hills. Um, The Anglican Church grew. Uh, The Dutch Reformed Church was very dominant. And uh, so the Afrikaans-speaking people largely were in the Dutch Reformed Church. But the English churches grew and grew and grew. And one thing led to another. And there's a small Anglican denomination in South Africa, which I'm a part of, called Reach South Africa. It's experiencing a good deal of growth currently, but it was very small for many years. And um, that denomination decided in 1989 we have to have our own theological college and so we're 30 years old this year and so we're very pleased with what God has done for a smallish denomination it's not a great deal of churches not a huge number of people to have a college of the size and magnitude and influence of George Whitfield College is quite a phenomenon so it's 30 years of God's goodness and grace we have a faculty of 11, student body of about 110. We, our meat and potatoes is um, a three-year degree program. So students come and they study with us for three years, and then they get a degree, uh, which is accredited by the South African authorities, and that equips them, really does equip them well for uh, a life of ministry. So, um, so the... Anglicanism, by and large, in South Africa was um, 
with few exceptions in its infant stage, it's sort of a liberal Catholic. And, um, and then um, there was a group within that group that was decidedly uh, evangelical by conviction, which decided to remain so. And so that became the Church of England in South Africa, which is now called REACH, uh, South Africa. And so continuing on uh, that, that mission, but the mission of George Whitfield goes beyond just what used to be called the Church of England in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you know the Church's One Foundation? Of course you know it. That song was written because of a skirmish in South Africa or a, 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 a punch-up between bishops. Uh, a Gray, who'd come out from, from the UK, decided he was going to make the church, give the church a, a real uh, Anglo-Catholic kind of character, and that didn't sit too well with Colenso and a number of others. And so there was a huge punch-up that happened, and it got, things got very rocky, and Samuel John Stone wrote The Church is One Foundation. So unbeknownst to many, as you sing that song, you sing about some of the woes and battles back in South Africa. Flowing from uh, that uh, came a split, uh, and the uh, a s- smaller group from which I belong, uh, to which I belong, that, that uh, came out of that whole split that happened. And essentially, it was a, it, it, as I read it, as I look back and look at the whole thing, it was over, is the Bible our authority? Are we going to stand on that word as God's word? And our motto, Church of England in South Africa motto, now reach South Africa, is thy word above all things. And uh, that really was the, the dividing point. But yes, we do have people from all over the world, and I'm going to hand over to Steve to say um, yeah, so as Mark said, uh, George Whitfield College was established 30 years ago to be the training college for REACHSA. REACHSA is an acronym, by the way, the Reformed Evangelical Anglican Church of Southern Africa. Um, and, uh, and the college was established to be the training college for that. And it'll never be, it'll never be less than that. Um, but under God, it's become so much more than that as well. Uh, when the college was established, it was 1989, that was... That was still apartheid South Africa. That was before uh, free elections, Mandela being released, 1994. Um, and so South Africa was a very different place. It was, it was very closed to the international community. Um, but what we've seen happen over the last 30 years or so is, is something far more than anybody who, who, who first planted George Whitfield College ever dreamt of. Uh, and that is that, that South Africa's opened up, and South Africa now is the kind of economic and, and, and educational hub of the whole African continent. Africa comes to South Africa to get its education. I'm just talking secularly. Um, and, and so uh, what we've seen actually happen is, is to have a, have a training college that's, that's, that's based in Cape Town, that's accredited by the South African Department of Higher Education, uh, means that we are open and we are uh, attended by students from all over the African continent. Um, and uh, this is one of the things I love about working at the college. I, I mean, I pinch myself every day. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I, I stand in my class and here's a guy from Ghana and here's a guy from Rwanda and here's a guy from Uganda and here's a guy from South Sudan and here's a lady from Kenya and here's a lady from Zambia. And here's, They all come sit in my classroom. I get to teach them God's word, ground them in God's word and then send them back out across the whole African continent. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, As I said, far more than anyone ever planned, GWC has an incredibly strategic reach into the whole African continent for the sake of the gospel, yeah. 
Now, um, we, we've had, uh, just in the past couple months, uh, a brother from Rwanda and a brother from Nigeria, and the challenges that they face in those places are, are different from one another, and South Africa even being different as well. So what are so, some of the challenges that, that you're facing in, uh, in ministry in South Africa and, um, and, and some of the challenges that you've maybe faced in the past? Because I know you go to St. James, and Mark, I don't know where you are on Sundays, uh, but it might be worth telling that story. Yeah, well, uh, there have been lots of challenges. Um, I'm actually a, a minister of the gospel, a pastor of a church. Uh, God has seen fit to put me in the place that I'm in now, but uh, my heart of hearts has been in pulpit and word ministry. Uh, I pretty much planted a church and pastored it for 20 years at St. Matthew's Church in Tableview. Uh, you can hear from the name. It's got a nice view of Table Mountain. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's what I did for 20 years. At St. James Church, uh, our parent church, uh, the minister there was uh, Frank Retief. And that name uh, means a lot to us in South Africa, a great man of God, a wonderful evangelist. Uh, so I, I basically came into the Christian faith uh, under him and... I thought it was normal that if you took your friends to church, they'd be converted, because that's how it was. If you, if you could just get someone to come and hear Frank preach the Red Heart Gospel, they'd be converted. All my university friends, I'm not joking, all of them, it's a whole lot of them, it's pull, pull on them, tug on them, by hook or by crook, get them along to St. James Church, Kenilworth, on a Sunday night especially, and they were converted. Even the president of the Atheist Club uh, at the university... We were all at UCT, University of Cape Town. He, he came along. And he was converted that night, the night he came. And this was normal for me, and I thought, I've got to go into this ministry. This is what it's all about. It was, turned out to be a little uh, less spectacular as for me, but that's how it was. In 1993, as South Africa was poised to move into a time of major transition, and as you all remember, Nelson Mandela was uh, liberated. Uh, from prison and came into power in 1994. In 1993, uh, a political group decided to try and push things in a different direction and they burst into St. James Church. Uh, and they came in, it was a big church with about 2,000 people with machine guns and, uh, and with mortars or ha hand grenades or whatever. Uh, so that was a major point of testing and uh, surprisingly, only 12 people lost their lives. Uh, if you duck down behind a pew, uh, it forms an amazing barricade. So a lot of bullets in the pews, and not too many people lost their lives, but a horrendous thing, as you can imagine. So we've literally taken some bullets for our faith. Maybe you want to add? Yeah, in terms of the, the church more broadly uh, in South Africa, um, you asked the, the, the kind of struggles. Um, the, the, the majority of the African church is, is led by, by pastors who, who haven't had much, if, if at all, any uh, theological education. Um, and the reason why that happens is because, well, Africans are the best evangelists you'll ever meet, right? right. You, you give them half a chance, they'll tell someone the gospel. I, I teach preaching class for the first years at GWC, and, and I love that. And every year I tell them, okay, you've got to preach an evangelistic sermon. We're going to work on it. We're going to try and shape it, make it better. I tell them, you, you choose your passage, 
And then you choose your context as well, because there's people from all over Africa. So we, we've, got to, we've got to evaluate them on their particular context. And every year someone comes up and says, well, this is my passage, and my context is, is the bus from you know, Johannesburg to Kigali or something like that, or my context is the train or something. Because if you've got a captive audience, then you preach the gospel in Africa, right? right. And, so, and so what happens is, is a guy comes from his village, he goes to the city to get work, he... Uh, he hears the gospel because Africans are the best evangelist you'll ever meet, and and he genuinely believes it. He understands that 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 Jesus died for his sins. He's the only way to be right uh, with God, uh, and and he takes the offer of eternal life uh, through his own repentance and, and, and receives that forgiveness. He goes home to his village, and well, Africans are the best evangelists you'll ever meet, right? So he he starts telling everybody in the village about what he's learnt in the city and stuff like that, and then in, in two three months' time, suddenly there's two hundred people there who believe. Now, who's going to be the pastor of that church? Well, he's going to be the pastor of the church, right? But, I mean, two months ago, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He'd never read a Bible in his whole life. And now he's pastoring a church of, of 200 people, right? That, that story's been repeated thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times all over the African continent. It's the story of many of our students, actually. Um, they, they, they come to college after being pastors for years, and they finally get the chance to come and, and study theology and be grounded in the gospel. Now, the reason why I tell that is because uh, what that means is that the African church is extraordinarily vulnerable uh, to false teaching because it's not that there aren't any, but it's, it's that there aren't enough leaders in the church who are on the ground, pulpit ministry, who are grounded in the Word of God, who are, who are able to guard the good deposit of the gospel in, in, in the light of false teaching. And so, so, you know, the church is vulnerable. That's, that's the answer. Um, and you see that vulnerability in, in lots of different ways. You see it uh, with the prosperity gospel that, that has really taken grip across the African continent in the last 15 years or so. Um, people aren't able to defend it, um, the gospel against it. Um, you see it with syncretism. Uh, you see it with, with churches where, where the Christian faith is kind of mixed together with African traditional religions and ancestral worship and Jesus is just your great ancestor kind of thing. And You know, I, I've, I've heard of churches, I've never actually seen this personally, but I've heard of it firsthand of churches where you, you, you come to the front of the church and you, you turn to the left to take communion, you, you turn to the right to speak to the witch doctor. I mean, it's just, you know, it can, it can be that syncretistic, you know, and it's, uh, that's, it's a problem. It's, and the problem stems from the lack of trained leadership in the church, yeah. By, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but by African standards, South Africa would probably be more secular than the rest of of Africa, is that how does that manifest itself in South Africa, and what is that? I mean, because it seems to me that based on what you've said, ministry in the townships where uh, uh, most of the uh, the native population lives, um, there seems to be an openness to the gospel. But what about those areas that are tainted by secularism, especially amongst the whites in South Africa? Um, yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. Uh, uh, South Africa is. Africa's first world, am I allowed to say that these days? I don't know if that's politically correct, I don't know. But, but, but certainly where, where Western influences uh, and, and secularism uh, kind of comes in from the south up and spreads throughout Africa, that's, that's definitely true to say. Um, but, but the other thing which is amazing, uh, and the reason why you can step onto a train in Cape Town on your commute to work and have someone stand up and preach the gospel to you, is that, is that the whole of Africa is, is, is still... the the gospel soil is so ripe for the harvest and, and it's so uh, easy 
to toil, actually, in Africa. Even in the white communities, even in the westernised uh, South Africa, um, I find the gospel soil is, is, is really um, fresh. Uh, I, I, um, I, I grew up in Sydney, on the north shore of Sydney, um, and uh, that's hard, you know. Uh, people's hearts are very hard to the gospel uh, in, in that part of the world. And, and, um, but in Africa, people are open. They, they want to hear the gospel. Um, there's no, there's no complaints when you stand up and when someone stands up in the train station, in the train carriage, and, and preaches the gospel. Uh, there's no complaints. People are interested, open to it. Um, it's remarkable. Uh, generally speaking, I tend to find that you know things in South Africa move about ten or fifteen years behind things in the West. You know, so there's, we can see the tide coming. Right. Um, if you want to think about it like that. Um, but at the moment, it's a great moment in, in, in history, and it's a great moment for the gospel. Africa is open to the gospel. So do you see, um, if you see the tide coming, um, what is that, what implications does that, does that have for how you train ministers of the gospel? So um, obviously you, your focus is on instilling those convictions and, and building on those, but has, has that affected at all the way that you think, you know, maybe we need to consider this a little bit more, whether that be apologetics or anything like that? Yeah, the, that's a good question. In, uh, in, a, in a strange kind of way, the more we see the, the tide coming, the more we say, well, we've actually got the good stuff. We're just going to do it even better right. than what we did it before. We, we're committed, for instance, to teaching uh, all our students Greek and Hebrew. Uh, and that's not because we want to you know, dock a, uh, our hat at the, uh, the classics. It's because... The, that's the, those are the texts that we have, the New Testament in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew pretty much. And so we want to equip our workforce, the soldiers, with the necessary weaponry to actually do the work and the skills and tools. And uh, we just keep doing that, and we see enormous fruit coming from that. So whilst the rest of the world is undergoing huge change, we are keeping our eye on that, and we, and we do want to integrate with... Uh, a little bit of online learning where we can and have blended learning using digital media in the classrooms. We, it's, we, we feel we've got something really good. It's like you've cooked up, uh, somebody's got a recipe in the family for cookies and they're really good and you, they're just selling so well you just want to sell them to the whole world and no matter what else is going on in the world, those cookies are going to sell real well. So we just keep doing, keeping to that recipe and we think God's and God wants us to do that. The gospel's like chocolate cookies. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's the What's the biggest impediment to getting students to come to GWC? Because it seems like the place. I mean, as you said, especially the the guy in the village who uh, who has no theological training. He's maybe only converted for two months' time. But uh, wh- how do you how do you get those guys to to George Whitfield? Thanks. The biggest impediment is that that guy in the village who's leading two or three churches with no theological education at all um, is a subsistence liver. He, he, he farms for his food. Um, he lives off less than two, three US dollars a day. Um, and the cost of theological education is, is prohibitive. Um, that's one of the biggest impediments. Uh, we, 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 I was speaking to someone the other day. Uh, they said, how's the college going? I said, no, it's going really well. Uh, how student numbers? No, they're on the increase. Our, our undergraduate program is, is increasing. Our, our postgraduate studies at the moment are, are exploding. He said, that's wonderful. The college must be doing really well financially. I said, <laughs> you don't understand anything about our model of ministry. Um, 
the more students we have, the more it costs us to run the college. That's the reality, not the other way around. That the students don't bring money to the college. We have to provide scholarships for the students to be able to come and study. So um, one of the biggest prohibitors is just, is just the financial availability of scholarships. We would have more students at the college if we had more scholarships to offer. That's the truth. We, mm. we, we turn away students every year, good applications, who we just can't, we just don't, we, the scholarship pot will only, will only stretch so far. Um, uh, that's, that's one of the main prohibitors, yeah. What would it look like for someone from the Advent to go train at GWC? Be wonderful. It would be wonderful. Um, I uh, had the privilege of studying at George Whitfield College as uh, as part of my undergraduate theological education. Um, I came from Sydney, Australia. I I, uh, I turned my back on Moore College. No, no, that's not true. I didn't turn my back <laughs> on Moore College. I uh, I studied at Moore College as well, and I did my postgraduate studies at Moore College. Um, but I, I I loved the experience that I got uh, coming from the Western world, coming from. Sydney, uh, first world kind of set up, set up uh, minority world set up, and, 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 and studying at George Whitfield College, the, the exposure that I got to uh, the magnitude of what God is doing in his world, um, and the cultural experience of studying with people from uh, different parts of the world, different parts of Africa, all different cultures, um, was immensely rewarding for me. I mean, not to mention the sound grounding in theology and, and understanding of God's word um, that goes without saying. But that you, that you can get at a college here in the States, that you can get. But, but, you, but you, that you can get at more college. But you're not going to get that uh, experience of opening up your eyes to what God is doing uh, in, in incredible ways throughout Africa. You're not going to study with the kind of people. I studied with a guy, there was a guy in my class who was from Sudan in those days. I mean, it was, it was early 2000s that I studied theology some 17 years ago or something. Um, South Sudan didn't exist in those days. Uh, it was just the Sudan. Uh, and I studied with a guy from the Sudan who, who had lost most of his family, had been killed uh, in, the, in the battles between Islam and Christianity in the Sudan in, the, in that early part of the turn of the century where there was a, a severe civil war going on there. Um, he was at GWC not to escape from that, but to train and equip himself better to go straight back home to be able to lead the church in the midst of that kind of uh, trial and persecution. You know, there aren't many people... I, I wouldn't have got exposed to a guy like that studying at Moore College in Sydney, you know. And, and to be able to meet people like that, I studied with people, uh, with, with a guy who was, was uh, next in line in his, in his village and where he lived uh, to be the next witch doctor for the, for the village. And God saved him um, from, from that situation and from that... Uh, he, he brought the gospel into this guy's life and now this guy had given up being a witch doctor to, to become a, a preacher of the gospel. Well, you don't meet many people like that around in Birmingham. <laughs> I don't know. Have you met many people like that? Yep. Um, you, you can go to Buf Buford, South Carolina. has got plenty of them. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, I studied with a guy who was a genuine tribal king in Tanzania uh, and who, for him, it was a massive sacrifice to, to turn his back on, on the on the, his responsibilities as his tribal king to come and study theology and be a pastor. I mean, just, the richness and depth of that kind of yeah. cultural experience is, is amazing. And that's what you get every day at George Whitfield College. That every one of our students has got stories like that. It's remarkable, yeah. Oh, praise God. Do you all have any questions for Mark or Steve? What is it called? I'm going to repeat them so that the sound picks up so when people listen to that. Um, what is the cost for a three-year degree 
in American dollars. $24,000 will buy three years, pretty much. $24,000 total. Which is, is that three years. Room and board Which as well? is, that's everything. Huh? Uh, accommodation, and it's pretty nice accommodation, I must say. Uh, students come and they say, wow, this is, we're not accustomed to this. It's really good. <laughs> we just opened a new center here. Um, so if you, th- if you do the maths, it's not too, it's pretty good. Uh, then we can compete with anywhere in the world, I think. Quality of, of education and it's relatively speaking quite cheap, but expensive for the guys who come from Africa. So we have to raise a 600, best part of 600,000 US uh, to give scholarships to these students. Victor. What is the makeup of your students? What, racial makeup, where are they coming from? Yeah, they're, they're coming from all over Africa. Uh, more than 50, 60% of our students are black, uh, African students. Um, they, as I said, that we, we represent uh, over 14 nations, uh, 14 African nations. I think it's uh, 17 or 18 nations worldwide. And we have students from Chile and we have students from South Korea and Vietnam studying at the college as well. Oh. Um, you know, so the majority by far, though, are, are, are black African students. Um, uh, and uh, so more than, more than 50% of our student body comes from other Africa rather than South Africa. More than 50% of our student body is, is black African students. I think you've satisfied them. Yeah, we don't know anything about bishops causing problems no. <laughs> uh, in, in our neck of the woods. But, I mean, that, that, was, that was a long time ago. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, George Whitfield is playing a major role, if I can build on David's question, uh, especially in terms of unifying Anglican provinces in Africa, especially when it comes to theological education. So I think it'd be helpful to hear a little bit about how you're networking with other Anglican theological colleges throughout Africa. I'll answer that part of the question, and Mark can answer the more of the history of, of the church in South Africa's question. But you're right. What, what, what is unfolding before your eyes in the Anglican church here in America over the last 10 or 15 years um, actually happened in South Africa about 100 years ago. And, and uh, I, I think it, it's good for people to know that. Most people kind of think, oh, this is the first time we've got two Anglican churches going on. and like, No, we've been doing that for 100 years, you know. It's, it's, it's worked out okay. Yeah, well, you can tell the history <laughs> more. Um, uh, but, but we lost all our property at the start as well. Similar kind of things were going on. Uh, the lawsuits, all, all that kind of shebang uh, happened as well. Um, the second part of your question, though, uh, in terms of George Whitfield College's connections uh, with Anglican networks throughout Africa, uh, very much so. In fact, uh, we, have, uh, we have bishops in Uganda and we have bishops in Kenya and other parts of the, of the world uh, of African kind of Anglican churches who send their ordinance to George Whitfield College for their training and then they return back to Uganda or Kenya or whatever and they ordain them and, and they go on uh, to serve that. And that's been a great kind of relationship, partnership building that's through the GAFCON kind of networks, and, um, and we're continuing to see great fruit from those relationships. Uh, we partner with other theological colleges across the African continent um, to, to work together, to just, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not here to build our own little kingdom, we're here to build God's kingdom. And, and so, you know, whatever we can do to be, to be a help to Ugandan Christian University or 
Crowther Theological Seminary in, in Nigeria or, or, or the Anglican Seminary in, in, in Kigali. We, we want to be a part of that. We want to help in every way that we can. We're here to build God's kingdom. But in terms of the, the history and the experience of Reach SA um, going through that split 100 years ago uh, and what lessons the American church can learn from that now, you're better equipped to answer that than I am. And you, and you, only you were there, weren't you, 100 Two years minutes ago. or less. Two minutes or less. Uh, I, I, I look younger than what I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's much to tell. There's a lot to tell. And in actual fact, I'm surprised more people around the world don't actually come to us and say, hey, you guys walk this road. Tell us. You've learned a thing or two. Tell us. Uh, there's too little time now. Uh, but something I do want to say is that I, I want to... There's a lot of that past I want to bury in South Africa. I don't, I don't want to keep harping. And people do harp... Um, so that's a, this is another side, another facet to the problem. Now, I don't want to uh, detract from the centrality of God's word and the supremacy of God's word and, and its authority. I don't want to detract from that in any way. But I do want to reach out where I can to our bigger Anglican partner in Africa. Now, where people train tells you what the future is going to look like. You want to see the future? Just find out where the people are training. It'll tell you a whole lot of what the church is going to look like in a hop, skip, and a jump. Our presiding bishop, Glenn Lyons, was a student at George Whitfield College not so long ago. Uh, the, if I look out over synod, our synods, I see all our graduates. It's, you, you, the training institution uh, controls that future so much. Our bigger, Anglic, bigger Anglican church kind of lost its way. Um, I, 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 I can defend that in public. I think it's pretty much how it is. Lost its way. And they need to come back. And when I meet with the evangelical guys in that denomination, and they're at GAFCON with us, yeah, and they're good people, and we, we get on well, and we have good times together, but they've got no training ground, really. Uh, they'll say, well, we, maybe we send to Rhodes University, or maybe you know, it's this institution or whatever, but it's, there's nothing going on. So I say to them, and, and this, this is, I've been aided and abetted in this by Ashley Null. <clears throat> I say to them, send one guy to us, just one, and we'll send him back to you. And when you see how good it, it is and, and how solid the training is, <clears throat> uh, you'll want to send more. So that's something, you, when you think about us, pray that the uh, other Anglican church in our denomination, in, in our country, will send students to George Whitfield College. Here we've got this fantastic strategic training ground for Anglican churches across Africa, and others, I might tell you, they're Baptists and others who come to us too, um, but for Anglicans particularly, and the, this larger, um, older body, Anglican body in South Africa just, just don't want to have anything to do with us. And so I keep saying to them, so are we going to pass this on to our children? This is what we're going to do. We're going to be off the scene one of these days, and the children are going to grow up, and they're going to inherit this stuff. Can't we just say to each other, the Bible is what we're all about. Let's get on with the important business of training men and women for the future. Well, Mark and Steve, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, we're really glad that you're thank here. Thank you for Let's have a word of prayer before we leave. Uh, our Lord, uh, you are so good and gracious to us. Yeah, we thank you. Uh, for blessing George Whitfield College and for raising up leadership there, for raising up students. And we do pray that there would be an openness to the gospel and that you would lay upon the hearts of those, uh, including us, uh, the, the burden of training up future generations 
and uh, what that looks like and what that means. Uh, bless them and keep them, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice their families are making by even having them with us here in Birmingham. Uh, Lord, be with them as they head home and uh, bless our relationship with GWC. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.